All you have to do is look across Munfield to our basketball arena and you, you see how championships are made. Players play, tough players win. It's downtown, breaking with the basket up, and it's in! Defense by Michigan State is unreal right now. Dawson, out to Harris for a three ball, he got it! Check good, it's good! You're listening to Impact Sports Radio, and this is the Impact E-Zone. With your host, Andrew Hayes. Hello, and welcome to the Impact E-Zone. My name is Andrew Hayes, your host this evening with Blake Froling. Blake, how's it? It's good. So, I uh, just got done watching Michigan State take down the Purdue Boilermakers in a 94-79 to victory for the Spartans. Blake, you were able to watch the whole game. Tell me what you saw. I saw threes, threes, and more threes. Let me tell you that. They set the record uh, for most threes hitting the game with 17. Six of them coming from Gary Harris, which was phenomenal to see. If you follow this team closely, he's been in a six-game shooting slump, averaging just over 13 points a game in those six games. Broke out for 25 points, three rebounds, three assists, three steals, even had a block in there. So just an all-around great night for Harris. And Payne, he's just looking like he never had that injury. Honestly, he had 23 points, four three-pointers as well for him. So I just think, especially when we get Brandon Dawson back, we're not, it's, unless there's going to be a chemistry problem, which there might be for the first game back with him, I think this team is even more dangerous than it was at the beginning of the year. Uh, I completely agree. Uh, Brandon Dawson, either tonight or tomorrow, is getting the uh, is getting the pins out of his hand. Uh, I think Izzo said hopefully he can be back in a week, uh, which would put him back. I think for about the Ohio State game, um, you you hope to get him back sooner than later. It would be it, ideally he would be back for Sunday against Michigan, but uh, that that just doesn't seem likely. Uh, I, I don't know. It, tonight was, I said earlier, if you had told me without telling me the score that Michigan State attempted 32 uh, three-pointers in a game, I would say Michigan State lost by at least 10 because usually that's not how this team works. But tonight it was just clicking, I guess. They had, how many did they have in the first half? They had 12. They were 12 for 17, I think. That is just stupid numbers. I, the reason I couldn't make it to the, I couldn't watch the first half. Blake covered the recap for me. Um, I had a basketball game of my own. I came out of the, uh, came out of the game, saw the, saw the score right before halftime on the uh, I am television. I turned to the guy at the desk and I go, "Oh my God, what, who's hitting tonight?" And he looked at me and he goes, "Everybody." And I go, "Oh no, kidding." He goes, "Yeah, Russell Bird hit one." I go, "Holy cow! Yeah, everybody's sitting tonight. That's when you know." Uh, great to see Michigan State bounce back from that loss uh, to Nebraska. Speaking of which, Michigan State lost to Nebraska on Sunday. Uh, final was, here it is, 60-51. to 51. That was one of those games where it just felt like Nebraska was meant to win that game. With the shots that they made and everything that, uh, everything that, that went into that, it was it just seemed like that was Nebraska's night. 
I completely agree with that. And let me tell you, Teron Petaway, he's playing himself into the uh, Big Ten Player of the Year uh, conversation right now. There's no real clear-cut favorite, but especially with his performance against Michigan State, and I think he put up some more big numbers tonight against Penn State, he's he's definitely playing right up there. And I saw a quote earlier this week on Twitter uh, about Matt Costello said that uh, during that game and, and leading up to that, they just didn't respect Nebraska. So that's another major reason why they didn't even get up for that game, you know. They had one of those down games, and Nebraska took advantage of it. That was... That was a painful game to watch. Regardless of whether Michigan State had won that game or not, and they probably could have if Michigan State doesn't miss, I think they had they had a ton of missed layups. I think four was the number that, that Izzo came up with specifically. But they didn't look good, and they looked out of control, and they looked flustered. And I don't know what the deal was with that, but leading scorer was Gary Harris with 18, but he shot 5 of 15 from the field, 1 of 7 from three-point as a team Michigan State shot 20 just or just under 21% from three point. Took 24 threes uh, out of 50 shots. Like I said, Michigan State typically when they shoot that many three-pointers, it's not going to end well. And tonight it happened to work well, but I would really 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 prefer if they could get away from that as much as possible because you go cold when you're relying on three-pointers and you're done. You see that a lot in the tournament. Good three-pointing, good three-point shooting teams uh, in the regular season. It's it's not a sustainable method. Um, and you know, Adrian Payne had a decent game, or not? He actually had a down game against uh, Nebraska. He had 11 points, uh, nine rebounds. He was all over the boards, but he had foul trouble early and often. Uh, and like you said, Teron Petaway just he just shot. He didn't shoot incredibly well. He was 7 of 17 for 23 points, 4 4 of 10 from three point. But he had Kenny Kaminsky syndrome where he hit them when they mattered. Oh, yeah. He, he stepped up for them. He was definitely their player of the game. And it seemed like in the last five or six minutes, every time Michigan State would come down and make a basket and try to come to that lead, Pedaway would come right down and hit some crazy fall-away three-pointer that just sucked the air out of the gym and killed that run. Especially when Adrian Payne, I think it was within three minutes left, had a breakaway layup, went for that huge jump and came up short on that one. Nebraska comes down and scores off that. That was that's just killer. You can't win when you miss those easy baskets. That that was a frustrating play for many reasons. First of all, he had a wide open. I think it was Travis Trice on the wing for a three pointer that would have cut the lead to I think one. Um, and also, I will never ever understand how a guy can go to the hoop, run into a guy who's standing in front of him, and there's no call. I don't care, and I don't know if it was a charge. I don't know what it was. It could have been a block. I think it was a block. But I don't understand how there's just no call, just a play on when two guys go down in a heap on top of each other. That It blows my mind whenever I see that happen. Well, I think the uh, referee kind of swallowed his whistle a little bit there. Probably didn't have the exact angle that he wanted to to see that play, especially because it was going to have a huge impact on the game. So he just decided to let it play out and hope that maybe one of his partners was going to make a call for him. But that didn't happen. And as you can see, one of the major reasons maybe uh, why the game could have gone the other way. It, and not to take anything away from Nebraska, because like we said, 
they just made the shots they needed to make. And when Michigan State shoots 17 of 50 from the field, you're not going to win many of those games. And the fact that Michigan State was even in it is pretty impressive. But um, that was a frustrating loss. Getting back to the to tonight, goodness, uh, what I mean, what a performance! They shot fifty-seven, almost fifty-eight percent from the field, and and really shut down. Or they didn't. They did struggle on the defensive end. I didn't, like I said, just based on what I saw in the second half, they did not get back in transition on defense. Fortunately, neither did Purdue because Purdue gave up a ton of, not necessarily breakaway, but transition layups that that you, you I mean for both sides you got to clean that up because especially for Michigan State if they're going to run the way they are they have to be able to get back to yeah well that was one of their main problems was when they finally started to come back down to earth in the second half and started missing a couple of those three-pointers a long rebound would come out and right away you'd have two or three Purdue guys going back and maybe only one Michigan State player and they were just lazy getting back in transition. I think that's what one of the announcers on ESPN said, and he hit it right on the head. They just weren't getting back. They were sitting on the lead, and I thought Purdue actually had a chance to make a little bit of a comeback. They cut it down to about 10 or 8 at one point, and I was getting kind of nervous because Michigan State went a little bit cold by then. But right after that, we turned it back on. Izzo must have said something to him and, of course, pulled away with the victory. But I think that's one of the main things that Michigan State has to address is that transition defense. It's and it like you said it it a big part of it was probably the fact that they took so many three pointers and those long rebounds are tough to tough to manage on the on the transition. But if you're gonna shoot that many threes, you better be able to get back and defend because otherwise you're gonna be in some trouble giving up layups that are much higher percentage shots than those uh, than those three pointers. Uh, Keith Appling had a, a weird night really for him he attempted one shot from the field uh went one of three from the free throw line uh his his three-pointer again did not look very good fortunately he wasn't wearing tape on the wrist which I think is is promising uh means that even if it doesn't feel great he's he's at the point where he he's not noticing it as much or not thinking about it as much because if I'm taping something up then it's definitely in my mind where I, it's still going to be bothering me. But, yeah, one point. But he, he did have nine assists, four turnovers, which you don't like to see. The uh, the guard combination of Valentine and Trice had a had a really, really nice night. Once again, uh, Matt Costello was the only, uh, only starter not in double figures for the – I think that's the second time in two games that that's happened. Or second time in three games that that's happened, beg your pardon. Uh, 14 points uh, for Trice, 16 for Valentine. No turnovers for Valentine, which is that's that's always the number that I go to for, for Denzel Valentine, and it's kind of sad that that that's the way I look at it. But that's been his Achilles heel is the turnovers. We know what he can do in the passing game if he makes the right decisions. But to see double figures from that many starters is awesome. Well, it just shows the balance scoring, and everybody was hitting. Everybody was was taking those heat check shots. I mean, that's honestly what I thought it was halfway through the first half uh, when when Payne started hitting and Harris started hitting. They just it looked like they were just chucking them up to see if they would go in, and they were, except for Costello, who got into foul trouble early and uh, didn't really make that much of an impact. But, I mean, you can't count on that kind of three-point shooting, obviously, going forward. 
And I think, like you said, I agree with you that we can't keep shooting that many three-pointers. But when Brandon Dawson comes back, I think that's going to change things a little bit because we're going to look to go more inside with that duo of Payne and Dawson because it's just such a matchup nightmare down low for teams. And it would be especially nice if Dawson could come back from Michigan, but I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, I don't think so either. I mean, you think about a three-day turnaround, and, and Izzo has talked about just how uh, how quickly Dawson heals, and you know, with the ACL and and the way he bounced back in seven, eight months from that, which is wicked impressive. But yeah, it it's I don't think. First of all, Michigan State's a half game up on Michigan right now. So worst case scenario on Sunday, we're tied with Michigan again. Granted, Michigan State's schedule doesn't get a whole lot easier after Michigan, and it would be great to have a full game lead on them just for some wiggle room, but. It's obvious. It's not a must-win, but considering Michigan came in here when Michigan State was very depleted, it would be great to to bounce back and and get that win against Michigan noon on Sunday. And uh, we were we had to. Me and my roommates were talking this afternoon. We were fortunate enough to have two TVs set up in our in our living room, and we had a real long discussion about. Okay, so we have one TV that has HD, one TV that doesn't. Which one is going to be the men's hockey game? Which one is going to be the Michigan game? This is a lot to deal with. This is obviously assuming that the U.S. men's Olympic team can beat Canada tomorrow, which would be great, especially after that women's loss today. Did you watch that game? I I did not, but I heard about it. It That was the most heart-wrenching thing I've ever seen. The women were up by two with four minutes to go, two-goal lead, worst lead in hockey. And I don't know if you saw any of the highlights, but they were literally uh, three inches away from winning that game on an open net, but it somehow hit the post from the blue line. That was a crazy, crazy game. Anyway, getting back to the basketball. Um, Go Michigan, Illinois, Iowa, OSU. I would like to think that Michigan State has a nice chance to win the Big Ten if they can beat Michigan on Sunday because you would hope that Michigan State can hold home court in both of those games. But recently, actually all season, the Breslin Center has not been a pleasant place for Michigan State basketball to play. I don't understand it. I've been trying to wrap my mind around it ever since I really noticed that Michigan State doesn't play well at home. And I was talking to my buddies who, are, who have his own tickets, and they hadn't really thought about it, and they said, you know what, you're right. Other than the Penn State game, they haven't been able to leave early once. I can't figure that out. Have, have you got any even inkling of a reason that that might be? Uh, maybe they just don't focus as much because they figure they're going to have an easier time at home with the home crowd on their side versus on the road. They're just trying to focus on their game plan and try to drown out the crowd. Maybe they get a little bit too excited at times and try to try to get the crowd into it, and and they just don't focus on the game itself and kind of let it get away from them. But I mean, it just it just doesn't really make sense. It's weird. I mean, especially in the Big Ten when home court is supposed to be, I mean, that swings your your line to however many points because the home court advantage is so huge, but. I mean, it's just been it's been bad when they come to the Breslin. One thing that I find really strange, and I just heard about this today, Michigan State has the highest 
opponent's free throw percentage at home in the in the entire Big Ten. How is that possible? We're supposed to have the rowdiest, craziest, most awesome student section of all time, which we do, but teams are making free throws like they're sitting in an empty gym. First of all, to, to my Izzone listening members, we got to work on our chance, guys, because here's the deal. Free throw shooters... They they just have to be thrown off their rhythm. So when we're chanting, no, 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 it's, you're just lulling them right into the zone. And same with, go green, go white. Okay, what? Can we just scream and yell and jump up and down like maniacs? Like, that's that's all I'm looking for. I, I think we're, we're overthinking the free throws routine. Would you agree? I agree. I, uh, I, I think the whole holding up the signs to tell you what to chant is a little unnecessary. They're going a little too far. And I think one rule that they should change is the no signs rule. Because if you look at student sections like San Diego State and New Mexico, those are just crazy backdrops for shooters with all like the, the, the giant heads and the, the spinning and everything. That, that, I mean, that would just be the perfect backdrop and just make that atmosphere even crazier. But the Breslin Center doesn't allow fans to bring in signs. So I think that could be one thing that could put us over the edge and then like you said, just kind of screaming and yelling or doing something other than go green, go white, because even if I were shooting, that wouldn't bother me. Yeah. When, uh, this is a uh, back-in-the-day story for you. When I was in high school, my student section, we could, like, uh, most games we had, like, 20 guys there. But we could we had the ability to get in the opponent's head, partially because we only had 20 guys so the other 19 could be quiet and we could just have one jerk just yelling whatever he could come up with at him obviously we can't do that in a student section of 4000 students but it's just all about distraction just make noise so that there's there's the end of my wife's uh, opponents make free throws in the Breslin but it really is a screwy thing that Michigan State's all but one of their Losses on the season has been in the Breslin. That's not the way it's supposed to work. <laughs> I mean, it, we're supposed to have the best home court in the nation, as the Izone tries to tell us. And they're always, I mean, especially in the Michigan game, I mean, they were just in the zone and it was getting frustrating after a while. Like, you did, almost didn't want to do anything when they were shooting because you just knew they were going to make it anyway. So, definitely need to change something. It's weird. It's very weird, but uh, hopefully it, it will change because Illinois and Iowa are going to be some huge games. And I think the Iowa game is, is huge to me because you already went on the road and proved that you can beat this team. Granted, it took overtime, but if, if, as, far as, I, in, as far as I'm concerned, if you take a team to overtime in their house – you should be able to come back to your place and just absolutely lay the wood. But looking at the way this season has gone, that's not the case. With the exception, no, not even, even Indiana. They beat Indiana by 17 in Bloomington, and then they come to the Breslin and win by five. I don't know. Frustrating. Tough to, almost impossible to figure out, but... Right now, Michigan State just has to figure out how to string wins together. They've gone four and four, four and four, yeah, four and four in their last eight games. That that's not a sustainable lifestyle either. 
Well, you got to talk. You, you, the injuries are the main reason for this. I mean, we're going to harp on it, and Michigan fans are going to call us whiners for doing so, which I would probably do if it was the same situation but reversed. But our three, three of our best players were out at one time. How do you expect to put together any kind of consistency with the lineups changing so much? I mean, we had like 19 or 20 different starting lineups this year. I mean, you just can't build – chemistry and that's going to be another problem when Dawson comes back is how is he going to fit in we thought that might be a problem with pain but he's meshing really well but it's it's just tough to win with so many different guys coming in I mean I think we played our whole bench tonight mostly because we cleared out at the end but still all the guys that we rotate in and out it's just tough to build continuity with the team any any Michigan fan who thinks we're whining because we don't have our best players is like the dumbest argument that I've ever heard because saying we could probably beat you when we have our best players back is probably a one of the most valid arguments you can make <laughs> because we could have won that Michigan game without Dawson and Payne and now looking at that Michigan game who are they going to put on Adrian Payne? I I watched Jordan Morgan play the best role as revolving door that I've ever seen when he was trying to play when he was trying to guard Frank Kaminsky. Frank Kaminsky is granted he's almost a seven footer, but he is nowhere near as athletic as Adrian Payne. I feel like if you put Morgan or even uh, Horford on Payne, he might go for seventy. Like it's just gonna be it's gonna be unfair. Or if he or if you do put one of those two on pain, you're going to have to help a lot, which means we can just watch, hopefully, a great three-point shooting performance again. Well, I think that's exactly what Michigan is going to have to do is collapse on the paint and hope that Michigan State goes cold. Uh, but I think that Purdue game kind of scared them a little bit, especially seeing what we can look like without even Brandon Dawson and and still be that powerful from hitting all those threes. So I think their strategy still is going to be collapse in the paint, don't let Payne get anything easy, and make them take make those long shots. Because, I mean, even if you're on fire, that's still a way harder shot than dumping it in the paint. Michigan's coming off a really a beatdown from Wisconsin. Like I said, Frank Kaminsky just went off that game. He couldn't, he couldn't be stopped. And they've had a week to rest which you you kind of don't like but hopefully that'll present some rust but you got to imagine it's going to be just craziness in the Chrysler on Sunday uh that'll that'll definitely be that's going to be one of those where I just hold my breath for a good 3 hours and just maybe let it out when I'm when it's all over but that's going to be just gut wrenching uh like as we said earlier Brandon Dawson coming back. Uh, what? What do you? How quickly do you think? Do you think it'll be Adrian Payne esque where he comes back and just out athletes everybody, or do you think it's going to be more of a slower Keith Appling esque figuring out you know his timing again with everybody and figuring out how to play with everyone again? Well, one of the main differences between Dawson coming back and Appling coming back is that Dawson hardly ever shoots a jump shot so his hand he doesn't shoot really besides a free throw so i don't think the 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 ability to play 
will be a problem. And another one of the main criticisms of him was his motor. At times, he he just looked like he wasn't interested. But missing all this time, you know he's got to be hungry and he wants to get back there. So I think it's going to be more of a pain return. Now he'll he'll be he'll out athlete everybody when like he does when he when he does turn on that motor. But whether or not he can you know, play to the level that we expect him right away and mesh with everybody. I think the main problem is going to be that chemistry and kind of getting back on the same page with everybody because when, you know, he hasn't played with Adrian Payne in like eight games or more. So that's, that's tough no matter how good you are. So I think, I think definitely probably a one game period where there are going to be times where there's miscommunication. But other than that, I think he'll hit the ground running. You really hope so because I think – all right, so just looking at dates here, February 23rd, got it, got the pins out today. I think he could come back for the Iowa game, and I think he should because that's going to be, like I said, I think that's going to be the, the big game for Michigan State, either to remain even with Michigan or get, or, or get up a game on them. Michigan has a really, on paper, a really soft schedule left they go to Purdue they host Minnesota then they go down to Champaign to play the Illini and then they uh, host Indiana to finish out the season they've already lost to Indiana once this year um, but just looking at those teams on paper that shouldn't be a, a they should win out and I say should but we also said Michigan State should have no problem with Nebraska so you never have any idea what's going to happen but it would be great if Michigan State could win on Sunday. That's really all you can say about that. And uh, and hopefully Keith Appling can kind of return to form. I think he's still doing a great job on the defensive end. Uh, he, he looked good. I didn't pay as much attention to him tonight as I should have, but I thought he looked pretty good. Uh, it's just, uh, I mean, that's a tough thing, especially when you're talking about a point guard who is a pretty good three-point shooter, pretty decent uh Pretty decent free throw shooter. Um, the thing that really worries me is he looks like he doesn't want to go to the hole as hard as he did before in case he should land on that wrist funny or just at all and then re-aggravate the same injury, which, honestly, I would rather see him just go to the hole. If you hurt it, you hurt it, but odds are you're going to, brace yourself the right way as you're falling because you don't want to hurt that wrist again. You might hurt something else. That's the only other concern. But still, he's most effective when he can go to the hoop. I completely agree. And uh, on Twitter, Joe Rexrode mentioned how um, when he did get knocked down one time, he actually landed on his back and not his wrist, which was a good thing to see. And then, of course, uh, Coach Izzo brought up his gymnastic days again. so I, I think giving him tips on the how to fall might might help him give him a little bit more confidence going to the hole, knowing that he's not going to fall on the wrist, hopefully, and gets rid of that reflex to do so, which is really tempting to do. But but yeah, you're right. He's going to the hole is his his number one option, and especially when he can't shoot. I mean, we saw how bad that three point shot was, and his first free throw barely hit the rim. So he needs to go to the hole if he wants to score at all, or he could just go 0 for 1 with one point, but then just pass to everybody and get nine assists. Well, that's the thing. is it's, And that's the beauty of Keith Appling is he's not just a one-dimensional. They don't necessarily need him to score a lot. It would just be a lot, a lot better if he could. 
Um, and uh, l- let me ask you this question. Do you, th- if you're Tom Izzo, do you start Keith Appling at Michigan or do you let the combination of Trice and Valentine, which is working as well as it ever has, do you let them keep doing what they're doing and until they need a blow? Well, looking looking at the Purdue game, I would say put start Appling on the bench, but we don't see what he looks like in practice, and it sounds like he's not going to practice very much, if at all, for the rest of the season. So I think it's tough to start a guy who doesn't get any practice time in, especially when you're bringing in another starter in Dawson, hopefully in the final couple games. So I think, especially with how well Trice and Valentine are running the backcourt, I, I, I don't think you can, you know, kind of abrupt their uh, momentum right now uh, with with someone who maybe not is not 100% ready to come back. I I agree. I, I think the biggest reason is why mess with it? You know what I mean? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. You, that's if Appling was if Appling was at a hundred percent and he was doing what he can usually do, and it was really gonna help him that much. And if Michigan wasn't such a huge game, I think yeah, you you put him in and and say, come on, Keith, we need you to get back in the rhythm that that you're in. But I'd say stick with what you got right now. Um, maybe that'll just be the complete and total wrong answer and I'll look like an idiot again, but it's, uh, it's definitely a tricky situation because you don't want, you don't want Keith to sit on the bench for too long, obviously, and, and kind of lose his, his conditioning. And, and the only way that he's really going to get his timing back is if he plays, but I think bringing him in off the bench and let him, letting him do that gradually is the best way to go about it. Um, but Man, am I excited for Sunday. Holy cow, that's going to be such a great game. And and with any luck, they can go in and and silence that, that Michigan crowd because uh, it would just be here, – okay, here's my, here's, here's my next question for you. If Michigan wins on Sunday, will they storm the court? No. No chance. No chance. You know, you know they're, they're pretty arrogant. You know, their 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 noses are pretty high in the air. We all know, we all know that. I'm just gonna be honest right here. They're one of those schools like Duke who think they're great, and Duke of course is, but Michigan not not quite on that level yeah, yet. Yeah, I think you, the they're most comparable to Notre Dame. Oh, I, I, you hit it right on the head. <laughs> that was, that was just perfect. But but yeah, I they're not they're not storming the court, especially uh, we'll see. I I don't think, especially with Michigan not being at 100% health, and they know that as much as they like to ridicule us for talking about it, they know that we're, they're not going to get our best game probably that we could have. They're definitely not storming the court. I I, I don't think they'll storm the court because I think Michigan State's going to win. How about that? Yep. I, I like that even better. Boom. Just positive thinking. It's the power of positive thinking. That's what we're all about here at the Impact Is Zone. Uh, I want to take a quick second just to remind you, right now, while you're listening to this, you can do it right on your, yeah, go up, click, yep, click right there, click on that, open a new tab, then you need to Google, go to Google, type in the infinity with an I at the end, Coach's Charity Challenge, go to that, and then go down, find Tom Izzo, click on him, click vote, and if you don't have uh, an ESPN account yet, Go ahead, set one up. It's free. Just enter an email address. They won't even send you anything real bad. 
and uh, and vote for Coach Izzo because uh, I know we talked about this last week, but I'm going to keep pushing it until it's over. Uh, Coach Izzo, currently he's, set, he's sitting in sixth place right now. We need him in the top four in order to make it into the next round. Thad Mata is doing some type of cheating. I don't know how the heck he has 30% of the vote, but uh, just got to get in the top four. He's sitting six right now. Go out, do that. We had Tim pop off on last night, uh, last night, last week. Uh, thank you again to him for coming in. And, uh, and that was, uh, that's a cool thing that, that we're doing right now. And, and I really want to push that as much as I can. Uh, real quick, let's, I want to do this. I want to talk about the other games that have gone on in basketball the past couple nights. Because I tweeted this earlier, uh, watching the games between uh, Boston College and Syracuse, Florida and Auburn, and then Duke and UNC tonight, I, I don't, it doesn't make sense in my mind that there are people out there that are like, nah, sports, it just doesn't cut it for me. Like, what more could you want in a drama in anything than just raw emotion and guys laying it all out there and upsets out the wazoo. You got Boston beating Syracuse last night. That final was uh, 62 to 59 in overtime. Syracuse losing their first game, first game of the season. Uh, it's just Wichita State now at uh, as the lone undefeated. And then tonight, Duke. Went to North Carolina and lost to the Tar Heels 74-66. Thank you, UNC, because every single time UNC wins a basketball game, I don't care who it's against, that makes Michigan State look just a little bit better. And same thing goes for all the losses. And, you know, I, I saw this on the Internet. It said, every time Duke loses, America wins. <laughs> I, I think that's, that's just about what happened. I think it was America against Duke for that game. Let me tell you, it, it was just great to see the Dukies go down, and and of course, you know, make our make our loss look a little bit better. But I mean, North Carolina is probably the weirdest team in college basketball right now. I think they have five or six wins against ranked opponents, and then they lose to Little Sisters of the Poor. They can't shoot free throws to save their life, yet they make just about all of them at the end of that game against Duke. So they're they're just, I I can't figure them out. Experts can't figure them out. You just got to put them in the tournament and see what happens. If I was a North Carolina basketball fan, I would. I uh, I don't know how I would handle all of these games, because it's basically a coin flip. It's it's like in two thousand eight, I think, when I had to root for Rex Grossman for the Bears. It was every other game. It was Jekyll and Hyde. It was who the heck is going to show up tonight? It's I I don't understand how you can have a team that that that's that inconsistent. I think part of it. And I keep saying this, and I don't know if it's just because of his size or or what it is, but I feel like James Michael McAdoo should be so much better than he is. I think he's got a little bit of the Glenn Robinson syndrome where he just can't rise up because he has games where he goes 24, 18, he had 10 tonight, not great, mostly because like in their uh, win against Florida State, he gets in foul trouble a lot, and you would expect more out of a... Uh, out of a junior, but it's, uh, yeah, UNC is a screwy team, but man, it makes me so happy every time I see him win, especially against a top five team like Duke. Duke is, I used to just blindly hate Duke because they used to have uh, the likes of Kyle Singler, who uh, I couldn't stand when he was there, and I'm sure you've started to grow weary of uh, of Mr. Singler as, as he does whatever he does for the Pistons. Um, but I respect the heck out of Coach K. That guy just wins, and and I, 
uh, you can't hate him because he's not real real obnoxious. He just goes about his business. He's almost a Bill Belichick type, except for the, uh, Coach K doesn't creep me out nearly as much. Um, but and I, I, I think I'm supposed to hate Jabari Parker, right? Yeah, I'm so. supposed to. I can't. I don't know why I watch him play, and it's like this dude is so good, and he's only going to get better because he's 18, 19 years old, and he's just massive and can straight up ball. But and he's from the hometown, so. Um, but you know, I think I don't know if I've talked to you about this, but I'm convinced that if he had come here, Michigan State would have run the table this year and won every single basketball game. You know, when I go to bed at night. I dream of Jabari Parker playing alongside Gary Harris and Adrian Payne and Keith Appling, and it and it's the best night's sleep I ever get. But then I wake up and I and I he see the nightmares of him playing for Duke and playing so well. And I will I will give him credit. He is head and shoulders the best player on the court, no matter who he plays. I think he's better than Andrew Wiggins, Marcus Smart, all all of these supposed superstars in college basketball. I mean, if if he didn't have to do the one year in college, he'd already be playing for the pros, rookie of the year probably. I'm glad you brought that up because that's something that we have yet to talk about here. The one-and-done rule is the dumbest thing short of charging players for eating too much pasta that I think the NCAA <laughs> has ever done. Uh, if you haven't heard about that pasta story, go look that up. Uh, I think, who was that? Uh... Who was that? The, what school was it? Was Oklahoma? It? it was Oklahoma. Yeah, they uh, they ate too much pasta at a graduation banquet, so they had to pay like four bucks to charity to make up for it. Stay hot. <laughs> stay hot, NCAA. Keep doing you. Love it. Um, What's what's the what's the other option? Do they go do they go back to straight out of high school? You can go to the NBA, or do they make it a two year thing? Here's what I think they should do. In the MLB, what you can do is you can go straight out of high school, or you can go to college for three years. I think that's what they should do. Jabari Parker was NBA ready coming out of high school, but he has to play one meaningless, basically meaningless year in college, and then go straight to the pros. It, it screws up. It screws up your program when you know Coach Izzo likes to get four-year players, loses out on a lot of those superstars who just want to win now, which hurts a lot of the the, the mid-major schools that could be good if they got those players. But those big-time players know they're only going to be there for one year, so they want them to go to the schools that give them the best chance of winning the national championship right away. So I think if you're good enough, go to the NBA. Don't screw with the college game. But if you're not sure, stick with the program for three years so you can get a good college career out of it and you don't screw over your college team. I I think I would like to see a two-year rule. I think three years isn't real realistic. I think it works in football because uh, there's there, the difference between a, I mean, very rarely are guys coming out of high school ready to jump to the NFL. And I think it does take about, I think two years would be the minimum you could do for, for college football. But I like the two-year rule because it allows you to it allows the players to develop more. That way, you don't have. Some, I mean, there's not there haven't been too many busts. Usually, when you're taking a guy out of high school, he's gonna be good. Kwame Brown. Exactly. <laughs> Kwame Brown. Oh my God. Um, but it's. And it's and I think it it would make the college game better and and not that not that that's necessarily actually 
you know what? Is the two-year rule an N- is the two-year rule an NBA rule or an NCAA rule? I can't remember. Because now that I'm thinking about it, for some reason it's sticking in my head that that's an NBA rule, which would then make my previous argument pretty much completely invalid. Sorry, NCAA, you guys are great. No. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. I think it would it would help out the college game a lot, and I think it would have guys even more ready to go in the NBA. And obviously you risk injury, and I think that's part of the reason that there's the one-year rule is so that they can go and develop but not risk injury because the assumption is once they hit 19, they're ready to go to the NBA. But I don't know. It's it's a tricky situation, and, and it's I don't know that it's going to change anytime soon because it's uh, you're also dealing with the fact that you're keeping these guys from getting a paycheck. Yeah, that's the main thing. A lot of these superstars leave college early, maybe if they're not exactly ready, but they need that money to support their family. And I've also heard that new commissioner Adam Silver uh, of the NBA was thinking, I don't know if this is actually going to happen anytime soon, but he wants to raise the minimum age to get in the NBA of 21. Oh. Not not more years in college, just the minimum age, kind of like how Brandon Jennings went one year in Europe instead of going to college and then to the NBA. So kind of an interesting thing. I I think that might be a little bit too far. 21 is tough because that would be – then that would be basically a three-year rule. You would have to wait until after your junior year, and, you know, then you start playing with other weird stuff like, okay, he's a junior, but when's his birthday? So that's – that would be a headache and a half, and I, I don't want that to happen just strictly because it would be a pain in the butt for me to keep track. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I don't know. That's that's a tough issue, and I don't think that's one that's ever gonna ever gonna slow down. Uh, want to talk about that Syracuse game too for just a second? Boston College goes into Cuse. Boston College was in the basement of the ACC, tied for dead last. Their only two wins in the ACC. We're against the other basement team. Oh, who is it? Hold on. I know this. I want to say it was Virginia Tech. Yeah, their only other two wins were against Virginia Tech. And they go into Syracuse, and I think it was a case of maybe Cuse was peeking at the schedule, looking up towards Duke and thinking, oh, boy, hopefully we can stay undefeated and blah, blah, blah. And... The Eagles fly in and just poop on that parade. <laughs> I, that, that's a great way to put it, honestly. Um, yeah, I, I think Syracuse was definitely looking past Boston College, 3-10 and 10 in the ACC after, after that game. And Duke, we saw, I'm sure you watched that legendary game they had up at the Carrier Dome. It's going to be even crazier, probably at Cameron Indoor. First time Syracuse has ever played there, which I find hard to believe. Maybe just because Jim Beheim doesn't like to schedule tough games on the road. We'll save that for another day. But, yeah, it's they were definitely looking past him. And Boston College was one of those things like, hey, we have nothing to lose. Let's go out there and knock out the number one team in the nation. And Syracuse was was looked like they were playing to protect the record rather than win. And they just fell flat on their face. The thing that's kind of crazy, I'm look at, looking at the numbers right now, really the only two places that, uh, that Boston College was better than Syracuse in was uh, shooting percentage and uh, rebounds. 
They turned the ball over 10 times, 10 more times than, uh, than Cuse. And that was such a weird game. And I think my favorite thing was at the end, I was looking at the Boston college coach when they showed him, cause they showed him pretty much every other possession. Mm-hmm. And he had this look on his face and I, and it, and maybe it, this was this is just the way that he always looks, but whenever they showed him it, he had this look in his eye like, "Oh my God, we are actually about to knock off the number one team in the nation on the road, an undefeated number one team in the nation when we're fighting for not the basement." And it was, and you just couldn't help but feel so good for those Boston College guys because they just went out and fought. They did exactly what they needed to do. It wasn't necessarily pretty. Wins against Syracuse are rarely pretty. Even Syracuse wins for Syracuse are rarely pretty. But, you know, you look at the numbers. C.J. Fair shot 7-23. He played all 45 minutes. I'm sure that guy had a nice nap today. Um, And 32% from the field, 17 almost from three-point. That right there is Michigan State versus Nebraska. It's probably one of the ugliest games I've ever seen was that Nebraska game. But but that Syracuse game, when that went into overtime, I thought there was no chance that Boston College is going to hang around with them because you knew Beheim was going to whip Syracuse into shape and say, hey, guys, time to try, okay? These guys are here to play, and they want to beat you, so we got to go out and play our game. And two for 12 from three-pointers, that's just not going to do it. Trevor Cooney is, like, the best three-point shooter in the game probably and he went one for six and when your best player is going one for six we saw what happened when gary harris went three for 20 you're just gonna have a tough time winning when your best player you know is struggling not that maybe he's the best but he's definitely the best from deep and you can't have that and i really thought boston college would be dead in overtime but give it to them give them all the credit for that one though those kids won't forget that win for the rest of their lives that was yeah, and I think that well, I'm gonna go back to harping on how awesome sports are. That's why it's it, that's why these games are great because you never know, you never know what's gonna happen, and like we saw with Michigan State against Nebraska, like we saw with Syracuse against BC, you can have those weird games where you might be the better team, but you're just not hitting your shots like you need to, and the other team is making every single shot that they need to, and it's uh, God, it's fun. Um, one more thing I want to ask. I think we're just about out of time here. Uh, if Michigan State wins out, if Michigan State wins the Big Ten tournament, their seed in the national tournament or in the NCAA tournament will be two. Two. I'm not going to give them the one seed just yet because you know Arizona is going to get overseeded. Syracuse maybe loses one game for the rest of the year, so they're going to be number one seed. Florida's going to stay on a roll, and Wichita State, who are they playing? They're going to take that last number one seed, and after that, it might be even be tough to be two. Not that we're a lesser team, it's just that the competition is so stiff with Villanova, Kansas, Duke, all in that mix. I, I think Michigan State gets a two seed. I think it is all based on the conference tournaments, not just Big Ten. I think it goes to whatever Q's can do in the ACC and whatever Florida can do in the SEC. I think Florida will probably do okay in the SEC, um, even if they, you know, they'll probably have to take on a Kentucky team that's improved, 19-6. and six. Not, a, not a terrible team, but 
but I think that that will be the big game. And, and Syracuse has a tough time in the ACC because of how good the ACC has been this year. Um, I think it all depends on who can win win their tournament. And I think if, if Cuse and or Florida loses in their conference tournament and Michigan State can win out and win the Big Ten tournament, I, I don't know that it's necessarily right, but I think that's what will happen. Because if you look at the... If you look at the uh, at the rankings right now, you've got a Kansas team that has six losses in the top ten. You have a Duke team that has five losses, uh, might be six now. I don't know if they updated this. Right now the rankings are all, it's a lot of who's lost most recently. We'll move them down towards the middle. And the teams that are hot right now, San Diego State, Cincy, I think those teams will be your two and three seeds with Nova in there and slew as well. Um, but, uh, I don't know. Well, like I said, we'll, uh, we'll see how it goes because it'd be great if Michigan state could get a one seed. But as I've said from the start, just give me, give me a top three seed and, and let Izzo work his magic. Uh, one, one last thing that I'm going to say before we go, um, Dan Chapman upset me so much tonight. Uh, he got in at the end of the game. Had a wide open look at three point. I got all excited, starting yelling, screaming at my TV, and then it just was like six inches short, and I just felt like such an idiot. And all I want is for Dan Chapman to hit a three pointer this year. That's all. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Blank, Blake, blank, Blake. <laughs> thanks for <laughs> thanks for coming in again. Uh, we will be back again next week. Same. Uh, we'll probably get it up a little bit sooner. Um, but, uh, yeah, see you next week. Oh, man, stay tuned for that Michigan game. Mm-hmm. We're going to be uh, – hopefully we'll both live through that. Yeah, that, I was just going to say that. we You might have uh, have to listen to just one of us alone. <laughs> I don't know if the other one's going to make it. <laughs> hopefully one of us will be here. If not, we'll get somebody else to fill in. We'll write that in our living will. <laughs> uh, my name is Andrew Hayes. Follow me on Twitter at hayes 22 Follow Blake Froling on Twitter at bfroling. B-F-R-O-L-I-N-G. Follow him on Twitter as well. Be sure to look at all of the goings-on on Impact Sports. Lots of stuff coming up from the spring sports. we got baseball starting up soon, uh, softball starting up soon, lacrosse. I am so ready for spring, guys. If it keeps up with this cold stuff, I'm transferring schools. I'll have to do this from somewhere on a beach. Feel bad for me. Have a good week. We'll see you next week, and go green.